Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out numaoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery. Elevating the archery experience. Take a test drive with the Matthews V3 31 or 27 at a local dealer near you. Vortex Optics. I've been partnered with Vortex since 2010. This company is awesome. They're American owned, veteran owned. They're based in Wisconsin. Their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Most of the apparel that I wear while training, scouting, and hanging out around the house is vortex wear go ahead and check it out and if you want to save 20 percent, enter the discount code elk shape at checkout and you'll save 20 percent. new from vortex in 2021 is their tripods the one i've been using in the backcountry is their summit carbon tube and their radiant carbon and it also has a ball leveling head and it's perfect for rock solid shooting there is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com.
Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. What's up? Today we're sitting down with Lane Walter. I've known this dude for over a decade. Legit firefighter, family man, elk hunter, archery extraordinaire, and knows how to film hunts. In fact, that's his side hustle. So he's he's a lieutenant at a fire department. So you got that 24 on, 48 off life with the Kelly Day mixed in every couple weeks. And uh, you trade shifts around get a side hustle and a side hustle for him is literally a videographer for uh, my buddy Willie Schmidt's show what pure hunting him and Randy Peck I think they co-host that uh, he's also filmed Brian Barney look him up legit AF and so this guy is awesome man he's done he's filmed a lot of hunts and then he's a bow hunter through and through he's just a bow hunter and uh, he's got a lot of experience and we're going to talk a lot about faith family stuff first but then we're going to migrate over to some craziness that's going on in Colorado with you know their management on elk so we're going to get into kind of behind the scenes a lot of folks don't know this but Lane has been working hard to get Colorado to basically like figure out their elk uh, tag allocation it's a little skewed right now and you'll find out more about that as you listen and then you can form your own opinion uh, Lane's just super relatable he's got a great marriage he's married to a lady that is a cop and a killer not cop killer, but a killer that is a cop of animals with her bow. She can shoot lights out. I've, sh- I've literally seen her shoot and him shoot. Um, great people. You're going to love this podcast. And I think, uh, I don't know, give Lane a follow. Look him up, man. The guy's awesome. If you've never heard of him, now you have. And uh, he's very relatable down to earth. He's got his family first. And uh, it's a good podcast. I hope you enjoy. I appreciate your support. Without further ado, this is Lane Walter. And you are listening to the Oak Shade Podcast. Check, 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 check. What's up, guys? We just hit record. We just got on today. I'm hanging out with a homie, Lane Walter. What up, buddy? What's up, man? Hey, people are going to dig you because I have a lot of firefighters that listen to this podcast. I don't know why, but they do. And I know that because they've emailed me and told me cool stuff about what they got going on. And they're like, so many of them are, are like first responder or firefighters, uh, just like you, man. So it's kind of a cool audience. Sweet. Maybe it's that blue collar vibe. I don't know. I love the, yeah, the blue collar vibe of it. And then just like, we get so much time off to do what we want. So I know a lot of guys that have hit me up and gals, they're like, Hey, what's a good job I can do in the industry. And I'm like, don't get a job in the industry. Go be a first responder if you can do it. It's not for everybody, but I get so much time off from trades and everything that I can go out and do what I want to do and be in the woods for three months at a time and not miss work. Yeah. We'll give everybody a quick intro on you. And then, um, man, I got endless questions for you. So we will have nothing short to talk about. Uh, Down and Dirty, Lane Walter. I am a cameraman and field producer in the hunting industry and stuff. A lot of photography for different companies. Uh, Love to elk hunt. That is probably my biggest passion next to sheep hunting, but I can't exactly go sheep hunting every year. I don't live in BC. I live in Colorado. So, um, and then I'm a firefighter and that's what pays actually pays the bills and lets me go out and chase everything. And along with my wife, allowing me to be gone so much. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been like, you're a captain, I think, aren't you? Lieutenant. You're a lieutenant. Okay. How long have you been a firefighter? Uh, 17 years. I actually started volunteering when I was 18, but I went full-time when I was 23. Yeah. You got picked up early. Yeah. I got picked up really early. Um, I went, I started volunteering with a small department and then I went to a city department to volunteer as like a reserve and then went full-time with the capital that I'm with for 
I, I'm in my 10th, I'm in my 11th year with them. Mm-hmm. What's your, uh, what's your current schedule shift? Like 24 on 48 off. Um, and then we have rotating Kelly day, which is every six shifts. I get a shift, I get one shift off. So then I have five days off in a row. So it's then, really for trades and stuff. Yeah. Talk about trades. Cause not everyone's going to understand what trades mean. Yeah. That, unless you're in the world, you're not going to really know. I can do a shift trade. So if someone needs me to work for them tomorrow, I'll work for them tomorrow and then I'll work my shift the next day. And then they'll have five days off instead of whatever, instead of the two days off. And so what I do is I just stack up a bunch of those. I work for people all through the, all through the spring, all through the summer. And then I just, whenever they say, Hey, what day do you need me to pay you back? I just, I give them a list of days. I'm like, here's 10 days to pick from that I need for the fall. So it works out really well. I work a lot of summers, a lot of, a lot of spring and, then just take a lot of time off in the so I'm not missing work we're sh we're just trading our shifts if that makes yeah. sense so, the work is getting done and, and man that's tough yeah, yeah. And, and actually it's a little bit harder to do it that way but it's it's a really nice perk of the job because for our vacation I only get six days vacation and I am getting ready to pick all my vacation for next year here next week so it's not like I can just bank my vacation and say, hey, I want to take a day off in July. I want to take a day off here. I have to pick it all with the way the scheduling is so that we're fully staffed and that staffing is done. So the trades allow that. It allows for staffing and then it keeps people from calling it sick, which is nice, um, and abusing their sick leave, which which is never good. So. And then the other thing is, are the are the battalion chiefs or the captains involved in these decisions at all, or is it purely handled between the firefighters? This is a contract from firefighter to firefighter or officer from peer to peer. It's a contract. And so if somebody is not paying back a trade, it almost never happens. We work right. with great people, dude, that um, it almost never has to come down to it. But all it comes down to is a couple guys calling and be like, hey, dude, stop being a POS. And <laughs> So, and like, if someone hits me up, they're like, Hey, I really need this day covered. And I'm, I'm supposed to, I owe them. If I can't do it, I'll find somebody else that can. And then I'll pay that person back for helping us out. If that makes sense. It does. That's legit. Not the ideal way of doing it, but still another way of doing it. And your city has grown so much in the last 17 years that you've been on. Um, what, what is your call volume like now, man? I think last year we did a hundred and around 140,000 calls between 39 stations, 40 stations. Yeah. It's, it's quite a bit. Um, we yeah, have covering, we have rigs that are doing over 20 calls in 24 hours. I've been on one rig. We did 30 calls in 24 hours. So quite a, quite a bit. You never made it back to the station. That's insane. Oh, yeah, it, it really is. It really is. Oh man. So firefighting, I have so much respect for firefighters just do getting some firsthand experience. It's, it's say, yeah, you did, it. You did I, it before this, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I did it. Uh, I, I wanted to go full time because I felt like I could do that with owning a gym. I was like, I can get two revenue streams. And then um, I kind of had the idea to sell the gym eventually. And then just firefight because I knew that firefighting was a cool job. It was challenging and it gave you autonomy of your schedule, which would mean more adventures. It pays okay. It's really cool people. Um, it's to me, it's the best job in the world. I still think it's awesome. Um, but I had to make a decision to do elk shape 
or firefight, not both. And so I chose to try elk shape and uh, still riding a wave, still riding it. Right. I mean, you still have one of the best jobs in the world. For me, firefighting is the best job in the world. I could have quit five years ago and gone filming full time, but I just, I really love my job. It's not for everybody, but for me, it is the best job in the world. I'll never get rich doing it, which right. like you said, you know, you're not, I mean, but I make a great living with my family between me working, my wife working, I can go do some cool stuff and yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Let's dig in on, um, real quick on your family, just because I've met your wife, uh, down in Texas last year at that, um, you know, black rifle event for the veteran adaptive archery shoot. She's really good archer. She's so funny. Like she, she ribs you pretty hard, man. And, um, she's a killer. Tell us about your wife and your kiddos. That's about our relationship is the, uh, the, the ribbon back and forth. She's a cop. So she has that same sense of humor that I have. We have like, and it's funny, we started dating. She would, she was 17. I was 18, um, like really young. And then when we were dating for the first couple months, couldn't meet her parents, like whatever. She's like, yeah, no, you don't need to meet my parents or whatever. Then when they were talking about how I was shooting archery, I was getting ready for the Vegas shoot. Cause I grew up competitively. She goes, wait, you, she goes, you shoot. I was like, yeah. I was like, I, I tried to hunt at that time, dude. I hadn't killed anything with my bow. And she was like, well, you got to meet my dad then. And it, it just, it was funny how it was a 180 from, nah, let's not meet the parents. We're just hanging out, stop, super casual to, oh, if you hunt, you got to meet my dad. So then I met her dad. And then two months later, her dad's like, hey, we're going to Alaska in September for a black bear hunt. You should come. And I was like, I am all in. But if she dumps me, can I still come with? <laughs> <laughs> Fair question. Uh, he was like, oh, yeah. He goes, you're coming. I was like, all right, sweet. Let's do it. Uh, that year, he had me swap out my deer tag for a different deer tag, took me out. I got my first buck. I got within 100 yards of a couple bucks that first day. And I was like, I'm, I'm probably not picking up a rifle for a long time. I'm hooked on bow hunting. And the competition archery, that's when I really stopped doing it. And everything focused strictly on hunting. And it was all because of her and her dad. I, if it hadn't been for my wife. And her dad, I wouldn't have killed half the stuff that I've killed. I bet I wouldn't have killed a quarter of the things I've killed just because they both have been such a mentor to me with hunting. In fact, our first date, she uh, she was late because she killed an elk. So she was like an hour late. She's like, hey, sorry. I was up hunting with my dad. I shot an elk. Like, it, so she's growing up in that. It's been really good. Her dad has really set a, a bar for me to try to keep up with as far as being away from home because of hunts. So my wife has been really understanding of that. Way I think set the precedent. Yeah. Both his daughter's births because he was off deer hunting. Oh my God. That's he was great. Off hunting knowing that he, that that was happening. And for the last, I mean, the first 20 years of their marriage, my mother and I'll tell me, Oh yeah, he quit his job in August and he'd come back in November, but nobody would give him the two, the two months off. So he'd just tell him, all right, cool. I'm quitting. And until he started working for himself, that's what he did. You're literally describing what I think folks that are that obsessed with hunting have to do. You either have to quit jobs, which I've done personally, or work for yourself so that you can coast and go hunt your little heart out. Even with this Alaska hunt, we came home from Alaska. We all had these deer tags, him and I are these elk tags. And he was like, all right. I got to do two things for work. I got to get all my guys squared away again for a week. And then he was back up in the woods for a week. So just, just quick turnaround, make it happen. He's like, all right, cool. Everything's still running. Boom. Right back up in the mountains. 
Mm-hmm. Now you you didn't you have a kiddo or you have you have two boys, and they're like animals. Like they're they're gonna be <laughs> they're nonstop. That's crazy. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. They're nonstop. In fact, we did that uh, that backpack hike up at are with the Kafaro guys. Yeah, and like at the top, my four hour, at the time was he four or five anyway my five-year-old picks up this big old rock and he carried it the last like 10 feet but he just thought it was cool to be carrying a rock to the top of the mountain so yeah there's some cool photos of that hike that we did and those kids were all about it man which is like like as a parent you're just so stoked that they enjoy being outside and doing stuff too you know oh they could live outside man and i love it and that's what i try to I try to push it as much as possible. And for me, sometimes it means having some extra coffee at three o'clock in the afternoon just so I can keep up. But I love it that they love to be outside and I try to push that as much as possible. And sometimes Becky gets mad at me because the homework doesn't get done by the time she's home, but we're having fun. Mm-hmm. So your wife is a killer. She missed your first date but, or she was late because she killed an elk. She's in law enforcement. And she does bust your balls and it's hilarious, but you guys have a great relationship, man. And a beautiful family. So I know, I know family comes first for you. Um, then you got your firefighting gig, which is awesome. I want to ask you a question about firefighting. I want to cover your competitive archery. And then I want to obviously get into the, the filming photography and end with, we got to talk about some of those full body mounts inside your uh, man cave there. But, um, let's talk about your, uh, firefighting deal for a second uh so in my town right now we're pretty liberal in washington and by we i mean seattle you know um and uh our governors basically said like today in fact as we're recording today's the deadline you have to have the vaccine if you work for the state um or you're fired and so there was like i'm just following along in spokane here we got the valley fire department's pretty big I think couple, I don't know, maybe 20 dudes were like, I ain't getting vaccinated for whatever reason, whatever, give me an exemption. And the Valley fire was able to make exceptions and like do whatever they needed to do to keep those guys, their jobs in the city. There was like 35 ish and they're like, you're fired. Uh, it sucks. And so I believe the firefighters are suing somebody maybe at a federal level or whatever, but we're talking about people drawing a line in the sand and saying, uh, I'm a first responder, but it's my choice to be vaccinated or not. And I don't know what their reasoning is and whatever, but what's your guys's politics like in department with being first responders and being vaccinated and all that kind of stuff? Uh, Colorado, same thing. We've kind of gone for, in the time that I've lived here, we've gone pretty liberal as far as things go, uh, pretty left leaning. I want to say completely liberal, but very left leaning, especially the city I work for. Um, so back in August, we had a vaccine mandate. I had just had COVID in June, didn't want to do it. Um, but at the same time, I love my job so much, man, it wasn't worth it to me. Um, and it's at the same time, it's my job to provide for the family at the end of the day. Um, so it was a pretty, it was a tough decision, but, but when it all boiled down to it, my job or my, my job and provide for my family or like stand up and like say no for me, I, it it was no decision. I had to take it. Um, my doctor looked at me, told me I was crazy. She's like, you just had COVID in June. Why are you doing this? You don't need it. Sorry. Like, yeah, I wish I could get that. I tried to get that exemption from work. Um, 
but then the stuff that they were going to have us do, everybody that got an exemption has to wear masks 24 seven and they had to be tested every five days. Um, so a reasonable accommodation for them, but it just, it, for me, it wasn't going to work out. So I went and I got the shot twice and yeah, Good. Took, took a couple rough days, but then that's how it's kind of going here. We have a lot of people that did get some exemptions. I'd say probably a 10th of our department got an exemption which good for them. I totally appreciate it. But at the same time, our union contract, we're not allowed to stage a walkout, kind of like what the Southwest pilots did. I know our, where they kind of, everybody called in sick. We're not going to do that to the public. And right. so that's not an option for us. Would it make like this big statement? Yeah, we'd also be going against our union contract and then it would not be what's best for the public. And what comes down to it, we're always wanting to do what's best for the public. Like 99% of the time, we're going to be doing what's best for the public. So- Nice. I, it, it was a no-brainer for me, but. Well, good for you. Way to be, a, way to be, um, you know, make your decision, stand your ground. Uh, it's hard to argue with a man, any human, but man to man, like, hey, the ultimate decision for me is what's going to be best for my family I'm trying to provide. Uh, so that's cool. Another thing to mention that I just thought about was, dude, you've been pretty much like, not on the sidelines you've been getting your hands dirty with local politics media like i know for a fact that you've been like trying to help colorado um with some of the rules and laws when it pertains to hunting and conservation and i would be i would not forgive myself if we didn't get into that for a second cool yeah um so colorado is the only state that does unlimited over-the-counter elk tags and for a long time, it's worked out really well, but we just continually keep selling more and more and more and more. And then we don't have a cap on our non-resident tags. So um, a lot of guys complain about it. A lot of guys complain. So I finally started doing the numbers and I just reached out to my local uh, Senate representative and talked to him like, hey, this is something I kind of would like to see done. How do I go about doing it? Like, what are the options? And we were talking about ballot initiatives or just putting something through the Senate to see if it can pass that way, just straight up talking to park, Parks and Wildlife. So we started by trying to talk to Parks and Wildlife and nobody really got back to them. Oh. So then we looked at the ballot initiative and it was, okay, well, um, that's gonna take two years to get it on a ballot and then get it to pass in our politics. It's like, uh, let's, let's go to the Senate and let's try to pass this through the Senate. So I just got a phone call like six months later from a guy like, hey, let's get this done. I don't know what it's supposed to say. I don't know what you want. So let's sit down and talk about it. It was me and one other person. And basically after the meeting, they're like, okay, you go write the bill, what you want in it. And then we're going to send it to our guys to put the legal verbiage and make it sound all fancy, fancy. So they took one paragraph and made it 50. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Exact same thing. Um, and what it was, was to limit over the counter non-resident elk tags. Um, I believe the numbers were right around in 2019, 60% of our over-the-counter elk tags went to non-residents. Whereas every other state has a cap, a maximum of 20%. Most of them have them at 10% and some are even lower than that. So it was going to cap it at 30% instead. So it was going to be a reasonable cap. It wasn't going to be like this huge, but it was going to be a cut to Colorado Parks and Wildlife on their budget, the way they've been operating. Um, Two years ago, Colorado Parks and Wildlife took our over-the-counter units and cut them almost in half. So we just, we went from, just for easy numbers, we went from 100, now we had like 55. 
that same year, we sold more elk over-the-counter elk tags than we had the year before. So we cut the units in half and then we put more people in them and they're expecting the elk population to still thrive. On top of that, with Colorado, with our growth, we have weight, which is a huge outdoor activities state. Everybody loves to be in the outdoors. So that's putting more pressure on the elk. We're not getting the calf recruitment we're getting because you have these mountain bikers and these hikers going through where they're calving and it's pushing them out. And it's really making the calf recruitment drop down on top of our bear population is through the roof. Our mountain lion population is through the roof. And now we're getting wolves. So this was trying to get ahead of the curve and say, hey, let's knock this down a little bit. Let's take some of the pressure off. This is us hunters wanting the pressure to be taken off a little bit. And then maybe put a little bit of a cap on the Colorado residents if we needed to as well. Colorado Parks and Wildlife threw a fit. They said I was trying to bankrupt them. There's no way they could sustain it financially. And it all came down to money. In my personal opinion, it all came down to money. They're like, we don't care about the long term for the animals. We care about our money now. And this is going to affect our money now. And they threw a huge fit. And they got the landowners to come in to our, here, our first hearing with the bill and throw a fit about how it was going to cut into their landowner vouchers, which the bill would not have affected the landowner vouchers at all. You know what? Time out. So I'm tired of the cahoots with landowners and fish, fish and game wildlife departments. I'm tired of it. It's happening in Montana right now. It seems like they team up together. Uh, it's definitely happening in New Mexico. Like it's, it's huge precedents are set there and I don't want to get myself in hot water, but like, bro, why do, why do the, why is there like that special relationship with landowners and these fishing game departments? Not always, but now Colorado too, like they're teaming up together, like, and it comes down to money. It needs to be a relationship with the landowners. You got these huge chunks of land with these animals on them. There has to be a very good relationship going there for the best for the wildlife. But then is what, in my opinion, happened here. Their lobbyist reached out to him and said, hey, this is going to take money out of your wallet. This is going to affect you and totally lied to him. Um, I can't prove that, but that's the only way you're going to get all of them there. And saying that when, if you read the bill, it didn't touch landowner vouchers at all. So a backroom deal was kind of struck with Caro Parks and Wildlife promised us that, hey, we're going to we're going to look at these issues and we're going to address them. We're going to try and fix them. And the state Senate president told them, fix it this year or I'm jamming this bill down your throat next year. And I don't care who you bring in and who you oppose it with. So, so far. Uh, and then they gave me a number to reach out to and talk to them, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And that means like, oh yeah, we want to talk to you. You're going to be the point man on this and stuff. And I finally got it. That was back in I don't know, April. And I got an email in August from somebody that had heard me on a different podcast. And it was like, Hey, has anybody reached out to you? No, nobody's reached out to me. I sent the emails. Nobody emailed me back. Nothing's happening. So I'm hoping that we can just turn around come back next year and write the bill where it specifically says this will not affect landowner vouchers and landowner voucher allotment. And maybe do something where if you're hunting with an outfitter, you have an option to buy the unlimited, but you have to be with the outfitter the entire time. So that doesn't affect outfitters. It doesn't affect landowner vouchers. And then we can push the bill through. Okay. Well, that's tough. Um, I think I understand the reasoning as far as I've read a lot about the calf recruitment and the calving grounds basically conflicting with that time of year um, outdoor wreck and, and not hunting wreck, just literally all your hikers and bikers. And, you know, it's interesting to me that 
like I think they've even gone as far as to close some trails down and put signage out and and put trail cameras out to make sure that people are staying out of the calving grounds. Um, but there's definitely been some really good studies where like human definitely interfere with the calf recruitment. Um, but I'm gonna back up a second, man. Like you keep people out of a calving area. That's one thing. Black bears eat delicious, nutritious grass, the best grass sources possible in this spring, okay? They hop out of their den, they hang out by their den, and then they start kind of getting their GI tract working and moving. They start expanding out, moving out April, May especially, and then mid-May to the first two weeks in June, that's your window for calves to hit the ground. And that's where bears start really starting to spread out. They really start grubbing, getting nutrition, gaining weight, feeling, their, feeling good, sowing their oats. To, and then it's, they're the only mammal out there that goes into rut. The reason why I'm giving everyone this big, long, like, I'm a avid, avid spring bear hunter. This year, once again, I find a warm baby calf carcass dumped in the best grasses because the cows drop them eat their own placenta lick the baby elk clean to of smells and the, and and then they say all right you lay down get up and i'm gonna be over here hundreds of yards away as to not draw attention to you now bears are just sniffing around eating grass bears stumble upon elk calves like it just happens bears smell 300,000 times better than a bloodhound. I mean, bears smell amazing. They they find these calves, and it's literally the fastest transaction. It takes them two seconds, and it's down the hatch. I've seen the leftovers. It's like a rib cage, a, a hoof. Like, they eat the whole thing. It's veal. It's like fresh, fresh meat, and it's just like a transactional thing. And we've seen the studies in Alaska. You guys don't even have, you don't even have a over-the-counter spring bear season, and I don't believe you even have a draw spring bear. It, we lost it because of a ballot initiative back in the '90s, and the only way to get it back is a ballot initiative in the '90s. And that ballot initiative set a date on it. We're not allowed to have a black bear season start before September. So that's and so now our bear population since then has exploded it's through the roof and. Colorado Parks and Wildlife, who's 100% worried about money, in my opinion, um, two years ago, they said, okay, for non-residents, we're knocking the price tag of the bear from down from like $500 till it's a it's hundred bucks or something now, $200 is cheap because they want people coming here to elk hunt to be buying those bear tags and smoking black bears as much as they can because our population is crazy and we're not hitting the quotas at all. And almost every single area, the quotas are not getting hit. We're just getting more and more and more bears. And then we're having more and more bear-human conflict. And Colorado Parks and Wildlife is spending more money on professional hunters coming in and taking them out. Mm -hmm. You guys did have – you could bait for bears. You had a spring bear season. Yeah, and I was not taken away in, a, in, a, in that ballot initiative. The only way to get it back is a ballot initiative. And in Colorado right now, between Boulder, Vail, and or Boulder, Aspen, and Denver, it will not pass. Those three – cities hold our voting power and you just got so many people in there that are disconnected and they're like well i've never seen a bear there must not be enough of them but they also haven't been in the woods for 10 years 
Yeah. So, so I mean, I feel like that's a crazy cat lady that lives in their apartment on the 30th floor. They're the ones voting for it. And they, they're like, well, I like bears. I like mountain lions. Well, so do I, I actually love them. I would, I would never, I'm actually trying to take away some hunting rights for elk because I love elk so much. And I don't want to see our elk population drop, but other people just don't get it. Well, I know, I mean, Colorado's got the most elk out of any state, like 2X, 3X to any state. And, and that's cool. And personally, I would hate to see all the non-resident opportunity go away first. I would love to see like, well, what can we do to improve calf recruitment since we have so many elk? If we have a better calf recruitment, we'll have better numbers as a whole. So before we cut tags, um, can we look at literally like doing our part on bears bears live a long time bears have two cubs usually they live a, like i got a bear right over here that they aged to 18 years old becca like, shot it elk don't live 18 you know hardly ever and uh so if we could get like and then obviously even if it was like an over-the-counter spring spot and stock like fine take the baiting away from us i understand some people think that's not whatever um, I don't mind baiting and I don't mind spot and stocking, but just to have a spring season would generate more revenue and it would literally kill two birds with one stone. You'd be killing bears, um, and you can't kill them all. And, uh, you'd be bringing in dollars. And I think non-residents would be pouring in as well. And you residents could step up, you know, and then even bumping that season from September 1st, like, what do you guys have to hunt August 1st? Like in Washington, my state, they move the dates back because we have the same problem. We have wolves, we have cats, we have bears, we have no spring over-the-counter season for bears. You cannot use hounds for cats, and we have no, we have tons of wolves and no season on them, no management whatsoever. So they're like, well, crap, bears are hard on ungulates. Let's move the season up to August 1st. Do you guys think you could at least maybe try to fight to get your bear season to open August 1st? Take a ballot initiative. Look at it. Since it was passed with a ballot initiative, it would take a ballot initiative to get it back. Um, there is one other option that we talked about, and I, the, all everything isn't really clear in my head as to how it goes right now. But um, basically, it would take a ballot initiative. And between Denver, Boulder, and Aspen, I don't think it would pass. Um, it would take a lot of – as soon as you bring that up, you're going to have PETA dumping millions of dollars into this. And I think that's where hunters really fall short is – coming together and standing up when it comes to something like this of doing best education for it. And I think there's a small percentage of us that really make us look bad when that happens because people get on and post these nasty bloody pictures of black bears saying they need to kill them all. And that's not helping us at all. That's hurting our initiatives. Um, I, I really think that one percentage of us is our worst enemy, not PETA. Um, and it takes us to regulate them. Like if you got a buddy posting something like that, just smack them and be like, what the hell are you thinking, dude? That's not helping at all. Maybe instead of like making some comment about a bunch of dirty hippies that are eating vegetables, why don't you just say, Hey, you know what? I, I personally agree that I have more in common with a vegan than the average American living out there because we both think about where our food comes from. Heck, when my kid was two years old, he asked me who killed the chicken for his chicken nuggets. 99% of America doesn't care or think about who killed the chicken, where their chicken nuggets came from. But my two, three-year-old was asking me about it. Um, and that was a bad mistake too. I took them to McDonald's and now it's their favorite place. <laughs> yeah. Now it's their favorite. Yeah. No, my kids are the same. Well, the other thing, dude, is 
again, I'm coming from the blue collar perspective is like, I understand, like, I'll shoot you straight lane. I don't consider Colorado as an option for over-the-counter elk hunting. Um, I do these camps all over the U.S. Everybody at my camps coming to Colorado. I've I've helped them with their scouting, and uh, I just I've hunted Colorado, north of um, Grand Junction, and shot a bull in there, and it was all public land. And that's a vague description, so don't get excited, listeners. I didn't give you a, but I saw so many bears while I was there hunting. I couldn't believe it, and I didn't have a bear tag at the time, regretfully. But my point was, Idaho did something fascinating this last year. They said, okay. We're going to sell the same amount of non-resident elk tags that we've done before. However, we need to disperse these non-residents. We can't have them all going to the Pioneer unit or McCall unit or whatever. Um, So they took those same number of elk tags, but they dispersed it and applied like caps or quotas for each zone. Was I happy about it? I mean, I was kind of disappointed, Lane. I've always been able to have two elk tags in Idaho as a non-resident in Idaho, which is ridiculous, right? But people didn't know about it or something, and I did that for over a decade, like two elk tags in my pocket every year. Uh, this this was the first year I did not buy two elk tags in Idaho. I barely got one, and when I got online to get my tag, there was like 37 tags left for where I wanted to go first. Looking back, I didn't see as much hunting pressure this year. They dispersed us non-residents out quite a bit. Now, they can't control how many people moved to Idaho. A shit ton, dude. I mean, you guys, Colorado and Idaho, received a lot of new residents, maybe from California, maybe not. But bottom line is, have you thought about, like, taking, like, what are the total number of non-resident elk tags sold in 2019? Like, do you have the actual number or 2020? Hold the numbers up. I had to do a Colorado Open Records Act request to get it because that's not information they would put out. So I had to pay to get that information. But when we were doing this, I did. And the numbers were something like 17,000 non-resident elk tags for over-the-counter elk were sold versus 15,000 resident over-the-counter elk tags for the exact same season. And the second season rifle tags with the over-the-counter correlated to almost the exact same split. Um, so all that bill was trying to do is just maybe knock it down a little bit, relieve some of the pressure that's going on there, because I think it's a really short sighted play by Colorado parks and wildlife to do it this way, because I know a lot of people that come out here done an over the counter elk hunt as a non-resident saying, all I saw was a bunch of other hunters. I didn't see very many elk and I'm never coming back. So now you have somebody that is never applying for a limited entry elk tag in Colorado, which our limited entry units are awesome. I was just like where I killed that bull this year was a limited entry unit that takes about three to four points to draw. Not super hard, but just, and that I didn't see a single other hunter in there other than my buddy who killed a bull. So, and he hiked in with me to get his last load and I hiked up. So yeah, dude, it was great. The only other hunters I saw actually were sheep hunters. So what would you suggest Lane? Like, could could you see um, maybe taking those fifty five over the counter units, which means if I have an owner over the counter elk tag that I bought at Walmart, I got fifty five units to choose from. I mean, I can hunt them all theoretically. Uh, do you think they should take all those units and say, okay, let's make them all one point, and so you have to burn a point to hunt? Or do you think they could be like, all right, like Idaho and say, okay, we're going to allow 300 tags for this unit dedicated to non-resident and that's it. That way there's not 
2,000 non-residents dispersed at all these trailheads in the same unit. What I wanted to see was kind of a combination between Idaho's new system and Wyoming and just kind of blend that together. I really like how Idaho does a first come first serve versus Wyoming for their general units. You're still drawing as a non-resident. Um, I didn't want to see that happen. I still wanted that option to where if you want to plan a hunt in Colorado next year, get on in May and buy your tag and then you can plan it or April whenever they want to do it. I really like that version of it but then put a cap on it this unit um it's over the counter for residents but for a non-resident you got to get the tag and it's an over-the-counter tag but it's with the cap so you got to buy it we already have over the counter with cap tags so that system would transition very nicely for colorado okay. um, and so that's kind of what i was wanting to see and for then just look at and 30 percent of the licenses and then spread it out so that's kind of what i wanted to see that was kind of the plan that in a perfect world that i think would have been a better implement implementation Colorado Parks and Wildlife, I really think that when they cut those like 55 units out and it was more than that, um, I think their idea was that the people that were hunting those were just going to go buy that tag now and then not be put in the other area. Instead, these people are still building points and they don't want to burn points. Everybody wants to build like 25, 30 points so that they can go hunt 201. Or 201. Two Good unit. I Colorado has better units, in my opinion. Um, but just everybody's building points and so they don't want to risk that and nobody really understands the point system or where they can still get that tag as a second choice instead they just put in for that and then they put in for their points so that they can try to get 201 in 50 million years and then go do the over the counter so i they, it was a good plan if you had floated that to me three years ago i'm like oh yeah I, let's see how it works but it didn't work but since it didn't work, they haven't done anything about it. And that's what really just rubs me because we're just watching our elk population dwindle. Yeah, you guys also have that secondary draw that not a lot of people know about in June where once the draw is gone, you have a serious, ridiculous amount of tags that either got turned back in or they just didn't sell. They didn't pay for them. Okay. Either they didn't sell, they didn't, either didn't sell all of them or people didn't pay, they didn't have the right credit card information up. And after given, I think they send out two emails saying, hey, we need your credit card information. Then it goes back and it goes on the secondary draw list. Yep. So. And that's another like more opportunity. So man. Revenue stream as well. Giant, cause I put in for it. Like I put in for something on there this year. Um, there was a really good tag left that got turned back in and I was like, oh shoot. I'll put in for that. I didn't draw it. I didn't expect to draw it, but you have to put your name in the hat. I've been ripping on Parks and Wildlife. I really do like what they did with that is if there is a tag that comes up and a youth applies for it, youth gets precedence. So I really like what they did with that. So if a 61 tag pops up, you're basically going to have three kids going for it versus 500 adults. Right. Um, so I really like that. Um, I do like what they did there. Um, it takes opportunity away from me, but that's cool. In a couple of years, my kids are going to be applying for it. So that's sweet. 100%. And that's so I, cool. I really do appreciate what they did on that. On the secondary draw, though, I don't think I know anybody that has ever drawn a tag on the secondary draw. Me neither. Nobody. A huge revenue stream for them. Just yep. another thing, which is great. Um, but they might as well just call it a youth only. <laughs> that's true. Uh, well, I guess we can move on from this, but I just want to recap my crystal ball shows that something's going to change in Colorado like not just be not just because you're doing something but I appreciate that you are and I could appreciate your perspective like you live there uh I've never heard of a state that has more non-residents 
hunting than residents, but um, because it doesn't exist anywhere else, it's just unreal. But I, I and I, elk hunter Dan wants everyone to have opportunity, but I just want elk to be there in 30 years, 50 years, 100 years. So, whatever we have to do, it's because the elk are held in the people's, the public hands trust, let's do what's best for the elk so that we have elk. And then, if that means like you have to wait a little longer or invest a little bit more long term. Let's do it. Let's do the slow play. For, let's do what's best for the elk. Yeah, I completely agree. Cool. And kill more predators. Um. All right. So archery, dude. You used to shoot Vegas competitively. I've seen you shoot, dude. You're you you're a great archer. Um. How did you get involved into competitive archery? Uh. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I'm not anywhere close to what I used to be. I used to be punching 400, 500 arrows a day. So I got into it with, I was shooting a competitive rifle 22 and then right next to the 22 range was an archery range. And after a couple of years of shooting competitive 22, then my brother and I would just, cause I got a twin brother and we always did everything together growing up. We would just kind of like both of us just levitated over to the archery stuff and we'd be over there all during our breaks. We'd be watching these archery guys. And, um, one day a guy with a, like a trad bow was like, Hey, you want to try it? hell yeah and i could barely pull the thing back and i was like this is cool um you can only punch so much paper with a 22 i think before you kind of get bored you can only just center punch the hell out of that and i wasn't amazing at it and i kind of plateaued so instead of just going that next level i was like all right cool let's just go do this and i finally just quit doing 22 went and got a bow and my brother and i started shooting i remember we got a bow we set it up we were sharing it because it was a lot of money and we were outside trying to hit like a paper target. We didn't have, we just put it on the hay bales for the horses. And we just put this like piece of plastic that was like this big, almost like a paper plate up. And we stood at like 10 yards for hours trying to hit that thing, dude, just hours. And then next thing I know, I was, I wasn't shoot 22. I was in that same range, just down there trying to punch paper and people would help. And then I got into 4-H and then I got into Joad, which is the junior archery Olympic development and just went crazy with it to where my brother and I would get down to school and we'd go punch 400, 500 arrows every single day on the weekends. We were archery shoots and we started doing traveling. We just went all over the place and kind of went crazy with it until about, I'd say 16, 17, uh, found girls and got a driver's license and <laughs> kind of just like laid off from it a little bit. But I grew up shooting with some really cool people that have Olympic medals like, uh, Jenny and then Brady Ellison. Brady Ellison and I used to shoot together all the time at these tournaments and stuff. At Vegas, it was me, him, and Jenny's little brother that were just running around, just causing hell, just kids in Vegas. So, I have met a lot of competitive archers that are bow hunters, and they have an undeniable advantage in the field. Oh, yeah. With, first off, just their technique. Like, they literally have the fundamentals on lock. That never goes out of style. Fundamentals don't go out of style. The other thing they have is they've been coached. And so that is huge because I taught myself and I totally tell everybody, don't teach yourself archery. Like literally don't go learn all the dumb things to do. And then the third thing is tinkering. All competitive archers are tinkerers. They know their equipment inside and out. They know how to tune, torque tune, paper tune bear shaft tune all the nerd out like they know their equipment and they mess with all these different scenarios to to create the best shooting bow for them uh it's undeniable so would you recommend like let's say people are listening to this podcast and and they want to elevate they want to take it to another level what kind of competition what kind of archery coaching like what are some good practices so that you can elevate your archery game 
the biggest thing, like you said, is get a coach. Um, if you know, you can't get a coach, it's really easy now to videotape yourself and then watch these videos. Like Dudley has done such an amazing job with being an ambassador for archery and then sharing that knowledge that you used to just have for coaches. But you can almost anywhere has a Joe Ed program and you can find those coaches and I bet they'd be willing to coach an adult as well and help you just get level like get, get your basics set up and then take you to that next level. Cause everybody, even I, if I film myself going out and shooting right now, I guarantee you, I'm probably letting my arm creep a little bit. There's, there's something that I'm going to find in there that I'm not doing right. And um, so the coaching is the biggest thing. I think if you could get a coach to help you, it's huge. And if you can't get a coach videotape yourself doing it and then watch yourself compared to like these Olympic archers and versus the coaching stuff that guys like Dudley put out there, and I think that you could go a long ways with your shooting that way. That's awesome, man. So you've, you did the competitive thing. You hung it up. You met girls or whatever. Uh, you still got it going on. I've seen you shoot. but uh... do it a little bit when I was working in the oil field and stuff. Uh, I went, was able to go shoot over in Germany. I shot in a castle. It was totally awesome. Just like cool stuff like that. But I've kind of like once kids came and that really just, just that's done for now. So. Yeah. And then we kind of have to talk about this. Uh, well, the first thing we talked about um, when before I hit record, darn it, always the good stuff is like you gave me a pan of just like a little bit of your living room. We got a full body mounted mountain goat. We got a shoulder mount mountain goat. We got a bear rug, a couple euros, shoulder mounts of a big bull and antelope and a giant caribou, a full body mount of a mountain lion, a couple shoulder mounts of mule deer and then another full body mount. <clears throat> of a rocky mountain sheep are all those yours are all those with a bow and then how much damn money have you spent on taxidermy uh so everything in here was killed with a bow i don't have a single rifle killed on up uh but i'd say half of it is my wife's the uh that the mounted elk is my wife's the mounted uh the mountain lion is hers um the bigger deer is hers in fact, I, actually, this just the uh, the dynamics just changed because it used to be the biggest elk in the room was hers, and now with that bull I just got this year, the biggest elk in the room is now mine. It's only taken me fifteen years to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> Love um, it. I was there when she shot it. I was sitting right next to her. It was funny on that elk, and it was just walking across at twenty yards. And finally, she shoots, and she goes, "What took you so long? I was waiting for you to shoot." I was like, I thought it was being the gentleman and let me shoot. <laughs> she's all mad. I didn't shoot it. So she's like, I just had to shoot it. It got too close. That's cool. Um, which was cool. So yeah, half of this stuff is probably is my wife's and yeah, it's all with a bow. And then as far as the taxidermy and how much I've spent on it, um, way too much. Yeah. Like basically we were talking like if you, the reason why you euroed your bull this year, your best bull, the biggest bull in the house was that you finally came to a realization that what, Taxidermy. It's a hundred dollars to do the Euro. I think I paid 150. Um, I could have done it myself if I really wanted to, but I didn't want to screw this one up. So it's either almost free when I do a Euro or 150 bucks or a minimum of $1,500 to do a shoulder mount. And all that money adds up. And I'd rather just take that money and go hunting somewhere. Um, I actually got this bull. I didn't draw that tag this year. I bought a landowner voucher um, because I was sick of doing the over-the-counter thing. I thought I was going to draw that unit. I thought I had enough points. I thought three was enough, but it turns out it wasn't. Only 50% of the people got it. So I just bought the landowner voucher because I had already been talking to somebody about it for my buddy to come out and hunt with me this year, uh, Josh Hall. 
he was going to be lined up for that. And him or Randy, one of the guys that I film, was going to be getting that tag. And then when it turned out I didn't draw it, I was like, all right, cool. I still want it. I bought it. So yeah. um, I'd rather take that $1,500 and put it towards lounge owner voucher again for next year instead of put it towards uh, taxidermy now. I have enough taxidermy. It's great. Um, I think if I were to total all this out, I could go on a stone sheep hunt. I could about that. Could have gone on, gone on a stolen sheep hunt, and that's something I want to do. That's something I will do in my lifetime. Um, so I just am taking that money and putting it somewhere else now. It's so funny. I got a call from uh, my taxidermist yesterday, and he said, "Hey, your your mountain lion's done." And um, he's like, "I got to take a couple pictures, but it's a full body mount. It's I don't want to say how much I spent, but a lot." And uh, somebody who is super cool, and I wish I knew their name, drove it. The mountain lion was in Salt Lake City um, because my taxidermist, he learned taxidermy from a teacher down there, like a, like a school of taxidermy. So he had never done a mountain lion. So when I sent it to him, he was like, hey, do you mind if I take it down to Salt Lake? I'm going to have my teacher help me with your mountain lion. And uh, but he's like, basically, this is going to guarantee that it's going to be an awesome mountain. I'm like. And his name's Jeff Burnworth. He does a great job. He's a local guy. So he took my mountain lion down there. They worked on it. They did it. Um, and then he came home and left the mountain lion down there for a couple of little details. So I was like, so you're saying, like, he, he's like, you'll get your mountain lion back, but I just got to figure out time to go get it. And I'm like, huh. So I just threw it out there on the old gram. Anybody in the Salt Lake area coming up towards Spokane? These, this guy and his wife, and I wish I knew his name. If you're listening, please send me a message. I owe you a care package. He's like, oh, well, we want to come check out North Idaho, Montana anyways, so we'll just bring it up for the weekend. And they ended up knowing the taxidermist. Like, they had gone to school together, so it was legit. Checked out, grabbed the mountain line, drove it up here to my taxidermist where he finished it. And um, Nice. It's, it's cool. It's going to be awesome. I'm probably never going to kill a mountain lion again. Like I hired an outfitter, whatever. I wanted to kill a mountain lion. I wanted to be a part of that whole dog thing. And it was awesome. And I killed a really giant Tom. So that's cool. But I could buy a couple landowner tags for next year with the money I spent. So are you, I'm with you, man. Like I think that there's, I have, I don't think I've ever shoulder mounted a bull. Yeah, personally, one of the I've shot has never been shoulder mounted. Only Becca's bull is the one that's ever been shoulder mounted. After that, it's like, all right, cool, one's good. Got to beat that one to shoulder mount it. And then I did, and it was like, I'll euro it. And then the next one, I'll euro it. And it just, yeah, I'll just take that money and put it towards something else. I like the caribou I have. I really like having the caribou. Like everything it looks good, dude. And I still have my muskox from Greenland is at the taxidermist. Um, what are you having done with your muskox, man? Man, I was looking at the full body, but once again, the money thing, it was like three times the price of doing a shoulder. So I did the shoulder. Um, yeah. I did a three quarter shoulder almost. Um, and it was still a third of the, of the cost of doing the full body. So I just did that. And, um, that's a good question. Um, I dropped it off with a taxidermist I never used before. And he told me he'd have it done in about two months because everything was, the, tan, the hide was already tanned. All I had to do was be stretched and put on the form. And that was a year ago. So, um, and he okay. still hasn't hit me up as to which direction I want it facing. Every time I text him, it's like, oh yeah, dude, another three weeks to, to, to two months, I'll have it done. And yeah, just fun. Yeah. And there's some shady taxidermists out there. There's, I mean, there's always, this guy's, yeah, he's just super busy. 
Like yeah. he, he's a legit taxidermist. That's all he does is taxidermy. I know a lot of people that use him. He's just busy. Okay. So you vetted him. Cause I've heard of guys like taking their buyer hides in and, and then years later, they're like, Hey, their phone number doesn't work. Their website's taken down. I've heard of that. I just saw a post about one yesterday here in Idaho. So, um, but the good ones, the really good ones, um, like, uh, what's the guy in post falls named Sean. It's like wildlife expressions. Oh, I got yeah. Dude, wildlife expressions, isn't it? Yeah. He's world-class. And if you text him when you, like I've taken stuff to him and my dad's getting his bear done right now. If you text him and like, I think he adds another three months. <laughs> he just doesn't like the rule is it's, it'll be done when it's done. It'll be a great job, world-class job, but don't like, don't bug him and leave him alone, which is a great rule. But yeah, no taxidermy's cool. I love it. But I'm at the point now where there's really nothing I want mounted at all. Um, I'll just do a Euro and throw it in the rafters and keep hunting, making, making memories. Exactly. That's cool. Uh, what was else I was going to ask you before? I, I know you got a jam soon. Um, oh, so this year, this year, your elk, your actual elk story. I haven't heard it yet, but you did mention. Okay, you didn't draw the tag. You got a you know voucher for it or whatever. Um, you also, guys, he is a like he films and his photography like legitimate like side hustle. You could do it. Your side hustle could be your full time hustle. You've purchased all the camera equipment, um, all the videography. You've been doing it. So, like I met you at a full draw film tour in Colorado uh, over 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, forever ago. So I've known you forever. You've been in the game. <clears throat> so I want to talk about your elk season, but I also have to talk about your side hustle because I heart side hustles. Tell me about how you got into behind the camera and stuff. So in the podcasting world, I believe they call this a mid-roll advertisement. Anyways, I'm interrupting the podcast to hopefully have your attention to let you know these companies support Elk Shape and make this thing possible. Shout out to Buck Knives and Post Falls, Idaho, Spy Point USA. These trail cameras are affordable and they have the blue collar people in mind. They have both cellular and non-cellular trail cameras, great price points, and they work and they will enhance your game. Numa Outdoors with their 2021 lineup live. Check them out at numaoutdoors.com. Discount code ELKSHAPE20. Take 20% off. Matthews Archery out of Sparta, Wisconsin. My favorite bow in hand. Best shooting. Most dependable. Awesome technology. Solid engineering. Go shoot the new bow at your local dealer. Black Rifle Coffee Company out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Veteran owned. They give a lot back to veterans. They're pro 2A. They're pro hunting. And they make damn good coffee. Discount code Elkshape, 15% off. Kefaro International. I rock the hoodlum. I rock the 22 mag. Check it out at kefarointernational.net. Crispy USA. I rock the Colorados, the Nevadas. See for yourself. No break-in period. Made in Italy. World-class craftsmanship. Next time you're doing some boot shopping, be sure to check out Crispy USA. Vortex Optics. Vortex Nation. Vortex Wear. Discount code is Elkshape, 20% off any apparel. Check out their UHDs, their Razor 4000, their spotters, and they have a lot of things when it comes to rifles that I don't know much about. Vortex Optics, veteran known out of Wisconsin. Love this company, longest standing partnership. Be sure to support Vortex with their VIP warranty, transferable, lifetime. You break it, they fix it. Wilderness Athlete, I discovered them in 2006. One of the best 
supplement companies out there, not a marketing company. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE30 on your first purchase and save 30%. Last but not least, if you're buying any gear, go to blackovis.com. Be sure to enter ELKSHAPE at checkout and get 10% off your purchase. Back to the podcast. So behind the camera, I have uh, Trevin Stolzfus to thank for that. Um, back when I was working in the oil field before the fire department, I was doing 70 hour weeks. I'm just crushing life and just all I was doing was working. And Trevin had hit me up about filming a hunt and I couldn't do it just because I was, I was just so busy, but he had me go film something and that was cool. Like he did something at a Bass Pro Shops and I went and took pictures for him. He put the camera on auto. I was like, oh, this is cool. And he's like, hey, can you come film this hunt? I was just so busy, I couldn't do it. When I got with the fire department, he put something out on Facebook about needing an editor, wanting to train an editor. And I messaged, I texted him right away. I'm like, hey, I want to do it. And I sat down, I edited my father-in-law's mountain goat hunt that I'd filmed with a handy cam. I'm like, this is what I've done so far. I go, I know it's not great, but and he wrote me back. He was like, let's make you a cameraman because you already know how to hunt if you got the time now. And that night I was at his house learning the basics of a camera. He gave me a gave me a Canon 60D, put it in manual. So don't ever take it out of manual. Um, you're not allowed to shoot in anything but manual and just taught me the basics. And then Dustin Etheridge was there and he was... Uh, like just, I, I still, he is my idol when it comes to photography and stuff. Um, just taught everything self-taught for him. And then he would teach me, I'd have questions and just jammed it down my throat. I went to a couple of film schools that Dustin was teaching and Trevin helped teach. And yeah, just started jamming and started filming. And just after filming with him for a couple of years, branched out to where I did, I filmed Brian Barney's first hunt with Eastman's, which was totally cool. Um, that's that's the famous story where you ran out of like water and food and had to suck it up. Uh, I didn't run out of food. I I cramped up going up the hill, dude. Oh, okay. Um, I just got back from a caribou hunt in Alaska. I was home for a day and a half. My second son had just been born. And I came home, kissed the, kissed the wife and babies, and went straight up to Wyoming. And I didn't really have the recovery time that I needed because I'd just been packing a bunch of caribou out and hiking up with Brian. I ran out of water. And then I cramped up towards the top and Brian looked at me and goes, are you going to be okay? And I've never, I've always wanted to be someone that could be like Cameron Haynes's cameraman, right? Like somebody where no one's ever going to wait on me. Brian's a beast, dude. He's, He's a, a little he does not get enough credit. Ball beast. And I can have a million excuses, but it just came down to it. My body couldn't keep up with that guy after what I just put it through. Yeah. Um, and so that first day, I, yeah, I ran out of water and I just cramped up like crazy. And he looked at me, I go, where are we going? He's like, to the top of there, I'm going to get up there in glass. The season opens tomorrow. So it's not like we were really ruining it, but we were trying to get up there with time to glass. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll meet you up there. I was about 15, 20 minutes behind him at that point. But I literally fell over on the trail cramping, filming him, which was a blast. And then after that, we kept up and I helped. It was nice that yeah. he shot the deer and I was actually able to help carry everything out and stuff. After that, things went great, but... He's an animal. You're an animal, though. That guy's a beast, dude. That guy is so, and he's so nice, dude. Holy cow! So one of the nicest people on this planet. So yeah, I have a man crush, like severe man crush on Brian Barney. He's such a good man. hundred percent. Okay, so you learned how to film. Now, as a firefighter, you also have to. You got to, Lane. You're balancing and juggling your career as a firefighter and you're a lieutenant. So you got responsibilities, extras, your, your wife, your marriage, your children, your personal hunting, her hunting. And there's a bunch of people that want to hire you to film because you're freaking good and take stills. 
Um, I mean, you've done a ton of stuff with Crispy with Black Rifle, um, Randy uh, and Willie, uh, Pure Hunting. What's Randy's show? Uh, Randy's on Pure Hunting. Pure Hunting, the, okay. Randy's my co-host. A bunch of other stuff too. Like, so how are you balancing everybody's pulling on you? Like, how are you doing this, man? It's kind of hard, dude. And Willie and Randy and uh, Crispy have priority over basically everybody. And in the past, uh, last year, I think the only person I filmed for outside of anything was Crispy and Willie. Um, and more specifically, Randy. Uh, Randy, who I went to Greenland with to film. And then I just, once again, you talk about like the top three, four people in the industry. You got uh, Randy Peck is amazing. Crispy is one of the best humans on this planet. Um, Willie Schmidt, Brian Barney, dude. Um, like those are the guys that I like to go film. So I really haven't had to branch out on. I've talked with a couple people like uh, Caleb Copeland, I think is crushing it in the filming industry right now. If there is a company to film for right now, it's them. And every year he's like, Hey, what's your schedule look like? And I'm just so hammered, dude, that I just, it never happens as much as I would love to go do stuff with Caleb, because I believe it would take my work to that next level. Cause he is the top right now. Um, I just, I'm so busy. I can't do it. <laughs> so yeah, it's really hard. And that's actually a, a film that I'm working on right now is kind of the balance of everything and how to balance. And I don't think I'm doing it right. I know I'm failing in different areas, whether I'm failing with the wife or the kids or some point at work or failing with my film at some point, there's always something that suffers. So that's kind of a film that I'm in the middle of putting together right now. I can't wait to watch that because it'll be so relatable to me because it's just a, it's just a constant failure of balance. I don't have balance. I lack it. I completely uh, agree, dude. Completely agree. It's like something suffering somewhere when you're doing something awesome. And like, where is that balance to where you have to go out and live? Because you've seen it. I've seen it at work and stuff. We're not promised tomorrow. So you got to live right now. You got to plan for the future, but live right now. And you got to teach that to your kids. And at the same time, that means you have to be away from your kids for certain things. So where is that balance? And I know I'm still struggling to find it. I don't think I ever will, um, but I'm trying to. I'm trying yeah. to find it. I got um, here that I looked up to personally that I think have done the best job of finding it in different areas of their life, but nobody I have found has done it 100% everything. So. No, I feel that. Well, keep. I, I want to encourage you to finish that film, please, because it'll be so relatable for me to watch. Um, and then the people you film, like, so Crispy is one of the most contagious people I've ever met. It's just his personality, his full life. But Randy Peck and Willie Schmidt, those guys are superhuman. They're just, um, they'll give you the shirt off their back. Um, and they're 100% genuine, just like you are. And then Brian Barney already said my spiel. So if that's your circle lane, dang, man, you... You got it going on, brother. I, I did. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I really do try to surround myself with great people. If I want to be in a room with my heroes, if that makes sense. And that way, I never want to be the smartest person in the room. Um, going back to, I don't know, I think was it Eisenhower that said that or Roosevelt? Um, Lane I Walter. Never, I never want to be the smartest person in the room, dude. And I always want to be around my heroes. So I feel that. Yeah. Okay. Well, where can people learn more? about like you you know like i probably social media probably instagram i think you're pretty good on the gram probably the best one as much as i fail to post on that dude i'll post like three things in like a day and then i won't post for a month but instagram always has stuff i'm always posting stuff on the story 
um, as much as I'm trying to stay away, talking back to that balance, trying to stay away from um, social media and the phone when I'm around family and stuff. But um, yeah, Instagram at R2 Lane. I have a YouTube channel that I'm really, really horrible about actually putting my films up on because I put them into a film festival and then afterwards I'm like, oh yeah, two years later I should post that film. Yeah, so you, should. Um, you have a bunch that I'm actually getting ready to post here. I'm going to be uh, submitting them to Badlands Film Festival and after that then I'm going to be putting them up on the interwebs on YouTube under Lane Walter. I think it's Lane Walter Productions, but if you just do Lane Walter on YouTube, that's it. And I have a Facebook page, but it's, and I have a Facebook Lane Walter Productions, but I can't tell you the last time I posted on the productions page. So I'm really bad about that. Talking about the balance, how things suffer. I'm totally fine with my social media suffering. That's not where Amen. my, that's not where my like, ROI comes from for companies that I work with and stuff. Me giving them great photos and great content. And then my social media is kind of a back burner, which I like. Yeah, no. And I follow you on Instagram solely just to keep up with what you're doing, like on stories and stuff. And um, to me, you're like, a, you're super relatable just because you are blue collar. Uh, you're, fam you're great family, man. You have awesome. You're not perfect. No, none of us are. But you're, you try so hard to be like, you're just a real guy, man. And I've liked you from the day I've met you. So I'm glad we finally got you on here. This has been a fun conversation, man. Um, for those listening that want to like get into maybe filming and stuff, um, reach out to Lane, like send him a, send him a message. Um, I got one, a guy that has become one of my best friends. I talked to Levi weekly, heard me on a podcast with South Cox and sent me a message on Instagram about a camera and I wrote him back. And then it turned into like long text messages. And then finally one day I was like, Hey bro, just call me. And then Levi called me and we spent two hours on the phone together with me talking him through stuff and me talking him through the editing. Now he goes out and he films for Trevin. Um, he's filmed South Cox on his last two, two uh, elk hunts. He was just with him last year. He was with him this year. Um, just a great dude. And uh, he's turned into one of my best friends that it came from just me being willing to talk to somebody on social media and help him out with the camera and stuff. If anybody has a question, hit me up. I have, I love talking about camera stuff. So yeah, I I'm curious, man, that struck, like I have a, one of my buddies, Jake, he he's filmed me a couple years in a row and he's got, he just started his own business. Like he's a welder fabricator. And for two years now, I've been pestering him to learn how to edit. I'm like, come over, I'll teach you. I've done it once. I've showed him some stuff, but I mean, it's just that he would have to buy a computer, he like a good one. And, um, he would have to get some sort of Adobe, like there's a bear to entry financially, but that's not his, that's not getting in his way. But I have begged him to edit because I know it would make him better videographer. Do you think, do you think you should start editing first before you take, you know, I think try get, to the film? Camera, get the camera in your hand, learn the basics and then start editing what you're working on because once you do something you're like oh man this is a huge pain in the and if i had just done this differently then it wouldn't be such a pain and that's kind of what levi did um shout out you get if someone's gonna follow anybody go follow levi mayfield uh that he's doing such awesome stuff his daughter is like six year old just killed two deer and stuff but that's the guy that i helped out a lot too right on um, but that's exactly 100 get the camera in your hand learn learn the camera and then go edit your own stuff because that's where you're really going to learn of I should have done this differently with the camera. I should have done this differently. I'm a firm believer that you can't be a great shooter until you're a good editor. Um, but you got to learn how to shoot first, if that makes sense at all. Yeah. Cool. Well, man, we went over an hour, but I, I, I'm sorry. We could keep going. Um, 
I appreciate your time. Oh yeah, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, dude. It's an honor to have you and tell your whole family hi, especially your wife. She's crazy. She just shot a bear in Alaska. Oh yeah, um, dude. That was awesome. We didn't even talk about Alaska. So okay. if you got time, can we finish with a little bit of Alaska adventures and we'll call it a podcast? Yeah, dude. Um, so I have kind of tried to make it a goal to be in Alaska every single year for the past, I skipped two years ago cause I was filming in Greenland. But other than that, um, I've been up to Prince of Wales all the way north of Fairbanks today. I was, or this year we hunted moose and was able to call in a moose. The plan was to get my wife a moose and my buddy, Darren, who's 62 a moose and, uh, ended up calling for eight days before we even saw a moose. I mean, just hiking all over the place. Looking that is so it. mentally draining. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. It, it really is hunting without seeing anything. It's a completely different level. I'm really hooked on the moose hunting, dude. I love it. Um, and so yeah, it's a completely different hunt. It was nice to come back to elk where you bugle and you can maybe hear something <laughs> instead of just wait. But finally on the eighth day, um, after hunting from the boat, hunt, hiking, just going all over the place, we, we called a bull in and, um, it was, at, I don't know, 200 and some yards. And Darren looked at me, I had my bow and he had the rifle and it was no question that he was just going to blast it. So it was awesome. Um, ended up getting that moose. And then we were taking pictures of that. A, uh, a black bear, Becca was like, Hey, there's a bear over there, like 300, 400 yards away. And so she looked at there and she goes, Hey, give me your rifle. And she rested the, she rested the rifle across the back of the moose and shot. The oh, that's badass. <laughs> yeah. It was really awesome. So yeah, Alaska has a special place in my heart, dude. It's yeah. I love going up there and I try, I would like to be up there every year, but once again, going back to that balance, it's right in the middle of elk season and I mm. love elk. So it's kind of hard. I think if uh, I do it again, moose always gets better the last half of the season. So I'll probably, instead of doing these long three week hunts, I'm going to cut it down to where I'm chasing moose for seven to 10 days on the backside of their season and leaving everything else, maybe in just seven days. That way I can still put more time in the elk woods. That's why I haven't been to Alaska, man. Those dates that are conflicting with my number one, but we should do a caribou, man. I'm trying to put, I have been talking about doing a caribou hunt because we can do that in August. Now I've done caribou in Alaska a couple times. It's so much fun. It is unreal. It is the most friendly blue collar hunt out there that if you want to do it, you should do it. Now I don't want to spend any money on caribou. If I'm going to spend any money, it's going to be on how can I get a good elk tag or, you know what? I even gave up, like, I don't even early season mule deer hunt anymore. Like I love hunting pronghorn spot and stock. Like those little crazy best bastards give me my money's worth and they're cheap. There's plenty of them and I'm dodging rattlesnakes and crawling on my belly. And I got a program, man. Like for right now, I'm just hooked into like pronghorn in August, elk in September, and then whatever the rest of the year, like, uh, I'm pretty simple guy though, but I have done it. And I would say like, I hunted North Arctic, like the North slope. Have you, it, it is a wild world. An Arctic circle. I've been on right on the edge of it, but I have okay. not ventured into it. And next time I go up, that's kind of where I want to go just because better chance at the Northern lights, um, Northern lights, tons of bears and moose and doll sheep. And you will actually, you might even kill a caribou in doll sheep country up there in the brooks. Like, like there, anyways, I don't want to give it all away, but man, yeah, I feel you. All right, guys, Lane Walter, the man, the myth, the legend, this guy, give him a follow, 
Lane, fill that, finish that film. I look forward to watching that and all your adventures. Post more of your stuff to YouTube. And uh, you guys, separations in the preparation. Appreciate you. You got a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for picking ours. Appreciate you, Lane. We'll catch you on the next one. Appreciate it, man. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Uh, we are talking about the December Chub Challenge coming up. Be on the lookout on Instagram for that. You're going to basically get paid in prizes to get your ass in gear and not slack off in December like the rest of average people do. Uh, Baku e-bikes is going to help me out with that. We're going to give away my e-bike once again, which kind of sucks for me. Uh, hopefully they'll send me another one because I love my e-bike. I do have a discount code with Baku. It is elk shape. It'll take $300 off. I have a mule, 1,000 water, uh, game changer, especially for black bears and whitetails. Uh, and elk season, you can use it in areas that... Uh, you know are conducive to logging roads so uh for me i I wasn't hunting anywhere i could use my e-bike this year but i have used it in the past and i have a trailer for it in case i ever kill an elk in logging country and be able to haul that thing out so look up back to e-bikes and be on the lookout for the december chub challenge got a couple discount codes i want to make sure you're aware of northwest retention systems custom gun holsters for your sidearm a chest holster specifically it's called the scout there's an elk shape edition one or you can choose a different type of scout but uh, if you enter the discount code at checkout, um, Elk Shape, it'll save you your shipping and handling. It'll also take 10% off. And you're supporting another blue collar dude. Elk Collective, this is where we've teamed up with multiple subject matter experts to do video driven elk hunting education online. Check it out. If you want to get signed up, use my discount code Elk Shape Podcast, all one word. It'll take 25 bucks off and get to learning. And you'll notice that the content will continue to grow. You probably won't be able to get through it all. It's, it's pretty vast, and it's growing. And that's what I like about it. Sheep feet for your feet. Check them out. These guys uh, out of Utah, I've done a podcast with Sheep Feet, and um, they sent me some Sheep Feet a while back. Uh, I don't have a sponsorship with them. I just asked them for a discount code for the listeners because I think the Sheep Feet are awesome. I noticed a huge difference. I have high arches, and I take, you know, I take the inserts out of the boots, out of my crispies, and I throw those in. I think it not only extends the life of the boot, but I think it also extends my energy transfer in the mountains. And that adds up when you elk hunt and go on big, long elk benders like I do and like I hope you do. So I have a discount code. It is Elk Shape. It takes 10% off sheep feet. If you're interested, go go do it. Go pull the trigger. You will not regret it. A uh, newer one is LED Lenser. I think I said this on a previous podcast, but... I basically reached out to them and said, can I get a discount code? Your headlamps are stupid awesome. My friends covet them. Um, You can get the rechargeable ones, but they're super bright. The batteries last a long time, and, like, they're twice as bright as anything I've ever used. And that's what I've been using. So they gave me a discount code for you guys. It is Elk Shape. It takes 15% off. LED lenser. Um, A couple of those guys there are hardcore bow hunters, which is probably why they agreed. So support bow hunting companies, I guess. And last but not least, Black Ovis, my favorite company to buy stuff from because they have a vast selection. They're awesome in Salt Lake. Their shipping is super fast and free. And I can get you 10% off your total order. So use the discount code OakShape. Take 10% off. You guys got a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for picking this one. We appreciate you all. We'll catch you on the next one.